Welcome to episode 15 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. My guest today is voice actor Greg Hauser. But before we get into the interview, I'd like to remind everybody, please follow me on Twitter at Pop Anime Comics for all updates regarding this podcast and my website, popanimecomics.com, which you should check out because if you click on the affiliate links and purchase something from Amazon.com, I get a small commission at no cost to you, which helps keep this podcast up and running. So without further ado, let's dive right into this interview. So how did you get into voice acting? Uh, the joke I like to tell people, uh, actually my wife likes to say it first and probably very accurate, is that uh, I have a face for radio. So that's how I got into it. Uh, long story short, had uh, it, it's one of those things where I didn't get into it very quickly. Uh, life just kind of led me there. I had some friends who were doing a, um, put together a studio and were doing some children's television shows. Uh, they needed somebody who could speak with a uh, particular dialect for a character whose face you never actually get to see, but is on screen. And uh, I, you know, basically uh, dubbed over the original actor uh, because I was the only person available at the time who could speak with that particular dialect. Later on, you know, there was a CBS crime drama called Hack. That was back around 2000 through 2002. It ran for three seasons. And they uh, was actually one of the first CBS uh, shows that was filmed in high definition. I was brought in for some minor stuff. And it turned out I actually understood how the technology for the high, you know, for the HD cameras worked. And at the time, the things looked like, you know, they were about the size of anti-aircraft uh, guns. Uh, so I mean, they were they were really technological monstrosities. But I actually knew how to how to maintain and keep them running. Uh, because of that, the crew for the show made sure to keep me around and as a uh, you know as a little thank you, any opportunity they had to give me a little extra work, such as. Uh, you know, if a sportscaster who was doing an announcement for something that was going to be, you know, put on like a TV in the background for the show, um, if they couldn't get somebody or if they just needed something quick, you know, they'd have me go over to tell me what the scene was. I'd go with the sound guy, you know, head over to, you know, head over to a quiet area or, you know, come into a booth and, you know, record that for them. And uh, after a while, somebody was like, you know, you're actually kind of good at this. You know, basically they convinced me to, uh, you know, continue following it kind of led me to where I am today. So did you have any professional voice training or coaching? I've studied voice. I've studied vocals for well over 15 years, probably closer to 20 now. I do sing. I actually sing quite often. So in that regard, you know, yes. Uh, as an actor, I've worked with uh, Walnut Street Theater. I've worked with uh, folks like Bob Bergen, Pat Fraley, Worked with a lot of the um, coaching talent uh, located in my hometown of Philadelphia. But additionally, I also trained at studios and in theaters uh, in New York, places such as uh, you know the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, in particular the People's Improv Theater. I absolutely love that place. You know, worked with folks up in New York, such as uh, you know Marla Kerbin and folks along those lines to uh, improve my acting chops, but also to learn you know, more specific techniques for voiceover as well. So obviously you also have a background in IT and engineering. Did that have any influence on you going into radio and voice acting and voiceover work? I wouldn't say that it had an influence uh, so much as it did have a, um, it allowed me to create a very unique niche for myself. And in that regard, 
if there was any kind, there is actually a lot of voiceover out there that is technical in nature, and most of it's handled by a, just a handful of people. Uh, and I'm I'm one of them who's lucky enough to be able to get that work on a regular basis because of my background in in the hard sciences, and I use that. Basically, I use that as my bread and butter as I both to build my my name and my brand as an actor, but also to allow me to have something to serve as a base as I uh, reached out into, you know, more commercial voiceover or to try uh, promo voiceover or, you know, audiobooks or even animation. It basically, you know, allowed me to have a solid base to fall back on. So obviously you got your first job due to your friends. How did you get your second and third job? Second and third job was really, I saw a casting notice and I just pounded pavement and I, I just kept not, I kept knocking on doors. I, I wish I could give you a more glamorous story, but that's the truth of it. I, you know, I used whatever uh, work I had done to kind of, basically you're only as good as your last, you know, you're only as good as your book is your next booking. So whatever work I had done, I would use that to try to get my next booking. You also worked and did voiceover work for the NBA and Penn State. How did you get these jobs? Uh, casting agencies, quite frankly. Penn State, um, I'll admit I had a bit of an in at Penn State, and that in was nothing more than the fact that I am a Penn State alumni. And I don't even think they realized that until after I had recorded. But I paid attention to what the local casting notices were, for the major markets that were near me, which in my case would be New York, you know, New York, Philadelphia, Atlanta, you know, Orlando, Tampa, you know, basically the, you know, the East Coast. So, you know, those, Boston, uh, and I would pay attention to a lot of the open casting notices. And by open, I mean stuff that would, people were putting uh, online. If it was something that I thought I was a good fit for, I'd send my info in. My first year trying to do this professionally, maybe I had five or six paid bookings for probably close to 200 auditions, which is a horrible, horrible rate of return, at least in my mind. But I found out that for most people who were starting out as professionals, that was about normal. And based on the success of the work I had done, I was able to use that to build up you know, additional work and put together a pretty decent reel, which... Uh, within the voiceover community, that's basically, you know, that's your CV and your business card kind of wrapped up into one. So what does a typical audition look like for a voice actor? Well, it depends upon the type of voiceover work you're doing. For for commercial in particular, you're lucky if they give you the copy, or they call it the copy, but it's basically a script. You're lucky if they give it to you ahead of time. Uh, more often than not, you're it's given to you at the time you uh, show up for the audition. And you'll be given, if you're lucky, maybe a few minutes. Uh, there have been several times where I've shown up. Uh, I, I showed up early, and they didn't hand it to me until I was in the booth. I got maybe 30 seconds with it, and uh, basically you perform. You know, one of the one of the big things for me was uh, my improv background, being able to identify specifics out of a piece of copy, uh, make commitments based on those specific items that I spotted within the copy. And learn to tell a good story. That's quite frankly, that's in my opinion, that's what gets me cast uh, when I, you know, when I have to audition for commercial work. For audiobooks, you're basically reading a couple of pages. It could be anywhere from, you know, a minute at the short side to three or four minutes 
for your audition for a particular book. And in that, in that part, you have to, uh, you have to, uh, basically you have to be an, not just a storyteller, but you need to basically be a storyteller while also trying to channel the spirit of, of what the author's trying to say. So it's a little different, but there are similarities, uh, for corporate narration and things like that. It really comes down to, uh, you have to sound like a real person and you have to have good pronunciation. If you can do those two things, uh, industrial narration becomes a lot easier for you. For animation, you have to be able to, to lose yourself in the character. You have to be able to build the entire scene around you. Now, it, all of these things kind of lend to each other. Like I can take a little bit of what I'm talking about for animation and put it into to an industrial narration or an audiobook. But these are the things I think you know, that I try to focus on when I'm dealing with those specific types of voiceover. But each one's a little different both in how uh, the audition process works and also how the clients normally approach you. Like for a video game audition, I may be given a, you know, I'll be sent an email with copy and I get a week to record it. Auditions are due at the end of the week. For a commercial, uh, if my agent sends me a commercial copy for an audition, if I'm lucky, I get till the end of the day. If I go to a studio to audition, I'm lucky if I get two minutes. So out of all these different, you know, auditions, jobs, what do you find to be the easiest? What do you find to be the hardest? Or are they all present different challenges? They all present different challenges, in my opinion. It's kind of like asking which one's the most fun. My answer is yes. Uh, I, I just have a blast being in the booth and being able to record. Uh, it, it's just, a, it's a very freeing experience for me. And uh, from my background, I do not come from a family of entertainers. Uh, I come from a family of, you know, doctors and scientists and engineers. Uh, my brother and I were the disappointments of our family because, uh, you know, I went into the I, you know, I went into the IT and engineering world, and my brother uh, became an MBA. You know, so for us, you know, that's the kind of family that I come from. Also, I like to joke that we like to we've turned overachievement into an art form within my family because the majority of my family is actually very intelligent and they're very accomplished in their fields. And I'm very lucky in that regard. Because of that, that very structured, rigid environment, acting did not come easily to me. For any type of acting, whether it's stage acting, voice acting, acting for film, it was very tough for me to learn to trust my instincts and to just uh, allow myself to to uh, break out of that shell, so to speak. So for each and every aspect of voiceover, for me, there is some difficulty that I am constantly trying to improve myself upon. Now, you have a studio, the Martini Lounge. How did you go about creating that? This is one of those, um, this kind of goes back to your earlier question about uh, how that scientific background helped me. Part of my uh, education involved you know, the, the science of sound and acoustics. I was, actually, I was able to work with a few people who are extremely, extremely talented in that field. Together, we sat down and I told them what my plan was, which was I, I wanted to build a recording studio for, at my house, but I didn't want it to be simply me talking, uh, you know, doing voiceover in a walk-in closet or having a whisper room. Uh, I've done voiceover that way. There's nothing wrong with it. I just wanted something a little bit different. I wanted something a little bit more modular because I, you know, like I also play piano. I like to do other things. And to be fair, I wanted something where I could have a more natural sound. 
And the end result was we basically destroyed the uh, top floor of my house and uh, turned it into a uh, turned it into its own soundstage. But uh, you know, my background in acoustical engineering, you know, guys like Brian Pape and Fran Manzella, you know, their input, their their advice, and their help, you know, that's that's pretty much how we built it. Uh, from there, it just came down to racking and stacking the gear. And from that perspective, if you've got the if you've got a good room, the, you know, the gear becomes yeah, it's still important, but you know, the room is definitely the most important, in my opinion, as far as uh, any recording studio goes. And, and at your studio, what type of equipment do you have? Okay. I was going to say, because if, if people are listening to this and they're just trying to get into it or they're, you know, if they're a hobbyist or even, you know, new, uh, you know, new to the industry, when people see my equipment or they come to the studio or they hear a list of my, it has the tendency to kind of overwhelm them. I'll be like flat out honest about it. You don't have to have what I have. I I joke about it that it's you know that it's a sickness, and I'm now on a 12 step program. I have a pair of vintage uh, 610 preamps with uh, new old stock RCA and Muller tubes in them. Uh, for folks who don't know what the 610 preamps are, those are the ones that were a good example. Of those would be uh, those were the preamps that were used for the Beatles Abbey Road album pair of recovered neve and uh recovered uh ward beck console units uh basically took the channels out and rack mounted them uh which i, I like the sounds out of both of those got a couple uh elemento pre's which are made by uh little labs they're a bit eclectic you, and you really have to know audio in order to use them well but i love them and you know then i've got literally a you know 400 uh, I think it originally retailed for like 400 bucks. It was a PreSonus MP20. It just sounds good. And it's proof positive that you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get a good sound. Um, as far as the microphones I use, if I'm traveling, I'll use a 416, uh, Sennheiser 416. It's just really good at dealing with uh, um, uh, rooms that aren't you know, well put together, like a hotel room. In my own studio, I like to use a U87 or a, uh, a Horch. The Horch is kind of a, uh, it's an eclectic choice. They don't make many of them, and they're rather expensive, but it's one of the most versatile mics uh, if you know how to use them. And then, of course, I've, you know, just got microphones and microphones and microphones lying around doing all, you know, either for show or stuff that I use for, you know, eclectic purposes or uh, that I rent out to other studios. Do you have a favorite piece of equipment? I couldn't narrow it down to one, but I have a couple of really choice pieces. Pieces. One is a uh, it's an RCA 74B. Uh, it's a junior uh, junior velocity uh, ribbon microphone. The history behind the microphone is just absolutely astounding. It started off at Disney. Uh, it eventually found its way into a uh, uh, a radio station in Milwaukee. And uh, yeah, the engineer who you know basically when they retired it, who took it off their hands. Uh, kept it around and used it for a lot of a lot of very neat projects and and recordings. And as he got older, eventually he wanted to get rid of it, and it found its way into my collection. One of the reasons I like that microphone so much, and you know, one of the reason I'm mentioning it is, it's uh, one of those microphones that I you know I can actually open up. I can open up a file cabinet in my studio, pull out a file, and basically show you pictures of that microphone starting from when it was built in 1936 all the way up to present day. The microphone, you know, I've had, I when I received it, I had to do a little bit of work to tweak it. 
you know, the ribbon was a little worn after, you know, like 80 years you would expect it to be. But uh, thing, things still works like a champ. And I actually have a lot of microphones like that. One of the things I pride myself on is the microphones I keep in my house in particular. I try to keep a very detailed history on them. So as a voice actor, what is the most important element to your studio? The source. You get to have the great, you can have the best equipment in the world. And if you're recording someone who sucks, it's going to suck. You, and, you know, even if you can get them to not suck, and this is where I always tip my hat to the recording engineers uh, and the ADR directors and, you know, you know, the commercial voiceover directors, the, you know, the directors and in particular the recording engineers are the reason the voice actors sound awesome. We do a great job, you know, going in. Uh, if we're good, they make us sound even better. If we're having a bad day, they still make us sound good. So you, but there is a limit. So if you have someone who just absolutely doesn't understand it, can't perform in front of a microphone, if you have, if you're recording, you know, a singer, uh, you know, a saxophonist, a, you know, a bass player, a piano player, basically anytime the source material is, is no good, you're not going to really get a good recording. And if you, and it's just going to be a lot of work and a lot of frustration. For me, I'd say the source is the most important and a close second would be the environment. Because if you have a bad room, it doesn't matter, how, again, it doesn't matter how good the gear is, you know, you're going to have issues. Whereas, you know, I can take a $100 microphone in my, in my studio, you know, a $100 USB preamp interface, and it'll, it'll kick butt. It'll sound awesome. Because the environment's, you know, it's a good recording environment. So for your studio, do you have a philosophy that you pride yourself on? Two drink minimum. The 11 o'clock show is completely different from the 7, seven o'clock and always make sure to tip your waitress. And obviously <laughs> in the voice acting world, uh, software plays a big part. How do you keep up with the latest software that's out there? Well, it depends. It's, I don't actually subscribe to that philosophy quite so much. That's actually kind of the philosophy uh, when you asked me you know, just a second ago about philosophy that I have for the Martini Lounge. I hear people use the phrase state of the art all the time. I, I, I'm sorry, but you know, more often than not, when people say that, it's anything but. And not only that, but it doesn't have to be state of the art to sound good. Figure out what works for you and keep that in your bag of tricks and then you know, keep going. I have stuff that's... My microphones are over 100 years old. They work. I like them. I have preamps that are, you know, getting close to 80 years old. They still work. I love them. And I have some stuff that's, you know, brand new. Uh, you know, I have stuff from like, uh, you know, Crane Song and, uh, you know, I've got Little Freaks and I've, I've got stuff that's, you know, they're still selling today. They, you can buy them for a couple, couple of grand uh, today. For me, it, it just comes down to use what works. Figure out what works for you. Figure out what works for your style and utilize that. Now to turn to something completely away from the technical aspects, but focus more on your anime voice work. Oh, this will be a short conversation. How did you discover anime before we dive into that entire conversation? All right. I, I've got to blame my father for this one. The first movie I ever saw was Star Wars. I was like four, four or five. Yeah, it came out in 78. And of course, you know, in the original Star Wars film, you get your first peek at a lightsaber. You know, you get to see, uh, you know, laser guns, you know, the blasters, all that. Well, around that time comes a little show called Mobile Suit Gundam. And I got introduced to it. And now I see giant robots with blasters 
and beam savers, which to my you know five-year-old brain translates to laser gun and lightsaber. So I've got basically lightsabers, giant robots, big explosions. What else is there for a child, you know, for a kid in the 70s? Not, you know, like, is there anything else that's better to a kid in that, you know, in that time frame? And that was my, that was my gateway anime. So obviously, sometime later, when did you get the opportunity to get your first voice acting role in an anime? Well, way, way, way back in the 90s is when fan dubs first started coming around. I know a lot of professionals, you know, kind of, you know, like they'll twitch their eye and, you know, give you a funny look when you talk about those. That, you know, it, my philosophy on that was, you know, at the time it was legal. Uh, there were no laws in the books, really, up until the 1997 Net Act. You could do that. You know, you could do that stuff, fan, fan subbing, fan dubbing, the distribution of such. As long as there was no money, that was perfectly legal. And internet was just starting to come out, come around in like, you know, 91, 92, 93. You know, these communities started to form, and I found myself in a couple of them. I know one of my first big roles was a fan dub for Dragon Ball Z. Absolutely loved it. Had a blast. You know, and for me, I've, I've always just been a huge fan, so... From a pers- from a professional perspective, you know the amount of anime work I've done is ro- is small. You know both the characters and you know, just the the number of titles. Now I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. On the flip side, I'm a fan, so I, I'm just like, look, I I could die tomorrow and I'd die a happy man because as a fan, I, I got to help. You know, I got to help. You know, make that. I got to help be a part of that. Uh, and that to me, that's the coolest thing ever. Now, when you recorded your small parts, did you do it in a studio or did you do it in your studio or how did you go about recording it? We're talking fan dubs, right? Fan dubs and professional. Uh, for fan dubs and before I started doing work professionally, really it was a microphone that was just put into a Turtle Beach sound card. It, you know, I was doing that using Gold Wave. I, I know a lot of folks out there you know, use Gold Wave. I know a lot of them use Audacity. Yeah, Audacity just it, it like I was never really a, a huge fan of it. It's a it's not a bad application. Uh, it just didn't trip my trigger. So Gold Wave, you know, for me, and Gold Wave was cheap. So you know that was fine. As I progressed, yeah. Now the one thing, the one advantage I had was that I I understood how the physics and science behind acoustics. So I was able to you know cobble stuff together so that it sounded better than my environment really should have sounded. You know, doing things like, uh, you know, taking a collapsible, you know, storage box from uh, Target, lining it with uh, with uh, good acoustical foam and putting a, you know, putting a front address or a side address uh, a microphone in there so that, uh, you know, I didn't have to deal with as much of the room noise or, you know, the sound of the fan from the computer or any of that stuff. That's kind of how I got started. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I know, especially when I was, when I would do like a fan dub or little stuff online, or even you know when I f- first started doing uh, little stuff, uh, you know, professionally or doing auditions, quality of my audio was good, and that's what ki- that's what kind of got it. But as I moved on, I the technology was changing. You know, things like uh, Cool uh, Cool Edit came out, um, which eventually became Adobe Audition. You know, I, I learned to really enjoy that. And as my clients' needs changed, I had to change what I was doing and what I was using based on that. 
which eventually landed me into Pro Tools and Reaper. So do you have any advice for anybody who wants to get into the voice acting community and the anime voice acting world and industry? My first advice is to be, a, be an actor first. It, it's called voice acting for a reason. Uh, and you'll you'll hear it said almost in any convention or uh, any interview. You want that, you know you, if you can be a good actor, you you know you can be taught mic technique and you can learn to perform in a booth. You may not be as good as some other people. It may take you there may be a longer learning curve for it. That's fine. But if you know how to act, you can build upon that. If you have a background in music, whether you play an instrument, whether you sing preferably both. Those are things that you will very quickly learn as a voice actor. They give you an advantage. They really do. You know, both because you're able to identify rhythm and patterns within a, within a uh, script, but also uh, particularly for singers, uh, they're going to have better control over their, uh, their vocal instrument. So from that standpoint, you know, there's my advice. As far as the, as far as the rest goes, I run into people all the time who go, I want to be an anime voice actor. That's great. Why are you limiting yourself? Work on, work on being an actor first. And if you want to be a professional, great. Be a working professional. Once you're a working professional, you want to focus on, you want to focus on anime, or you want to focus on a particular you know, facet of acting, absolutely. Why? Because if that doesn't work out for you, you've got all this other stuff you can fall back on. And you already come into it with this great body of work. One of my first mentors told me, you know, from a voiceover perspective, love the words. Just learn to love the words. And th this was a guy uh, who was who was bigger than life. One of the first people who tried to who uh, tried to help mentor me was Don LaFontaine. The guy, you know, he was for those who don't know him, you know, he was the movie trailer guy. He was Mister In a World. The man was truly bigger than life, and. He brought all that personality, all that you know, all that love, all that energy into every read he did, and that's why the go-to guy for like like thirty years when it came to movie trailers. Uh, I could I could go on with advice for hours. Uh, I, I work with with a couple of folks, uh, Bill Rogers, uh, occasionally uh, Mark Swint. We yeah, and I apologize for the plug. Uh, we you know we do a workshop and we actually talk about a lot of this stuff there. Because, you know, uh, like a 35, 40 minute interview, I could have taken that whole time just to pass on advice and stuff that I've learned, you know, on how to be a voice actor. The, uh, you know, and, and I'm just going to close my advice column with this. 95, 95% yeah, of being a voice actor, of being just an actor is just getting on stage. I mean, that's, and what I mean by that is getting on stage and exposing yourself, getting in the booth and exposing yourself to the audience, to uh, a director, to a casting agent, that's hard. But if you can just get in that booth, if you can just get on that stage, guess what? The hard part's over. Now you just got to perform. And it's once we learn to get outside of our, ourselves, once we learn to, to give up all those, you know, to get out of our head, to break away from, you know, those little fears and, you know, little neuroses that we all have, that's when you see people truly become who, you know, who they are. And that's when you see people perform at their best. And if you take a look at the guy, you know, guys right now who are at the top of the game for voiceover, folks like, you know, Rob Paulson, Bob Bergen, Frank Welker, you know, all 
same same as in you know for the anime folk you know Jai Young Bosch, Mike McFarland, Greg and Chris Ayers, all those guys. If you get to see that you know Todd Haberkorn, all of them, and I could go on and on and on. You see them in the booth. You see the fact that all of those you know there's always a part of them to all of those characters, but all of those little little fears and neuroses or whatever that they may have, they left those at the door because they you know they're just they're there. And they're just there, you know. They're there to perform. They're there to have fun. So, do you have any promos? Facebook, Twitter, website for folks who are looking for me. If I owe you money, no. For everybody else, I do. I do have a website. It's uh, GregoryHauser.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, GHauser, and I'm on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. As always, subscribe to this podcast where you get your podcasts. So that it finds you and you don't find it. And as always, have a great week, everybody.